Have you had your soup today? And the cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. Good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to our episode of Sheologians. We are here today to put the her in church her story. The her in heresy. I think I've done that one already. I've done that one already. Oh. Listen to the patriarchy. I think he's not making a suggestion. I think he's <laughs> pointing this something out. This was not up. a suggestion. Not a suggestion. Uh, hi, hi, my name's Summer Yeager, and I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Joy, who is wearing a blanket because she's cold, and the colors kind of match the sweater that my dad oh, yeah. is wearing, and we I'm have surrounded like green... by the green yeah. right now. And then you're wearing blue, so we're all coordinated. It's so great. I just get really cold in this. The building is made of cement, and that's pretty <laughs> right. much it. And it just like holds in whatever temperature it is outside. Right. So, right. Well, you know, I let the cat out of the bag. My dad's here. Hey, dad. Hello. Um. So the other day, I posted something. I think I shared a. To- I think I shared a talk that you gave, and I was like, Oh, the woke church one. Yeah, I was like, You guys should listen to my dad's talk. And then someone was like. <laughs> You can't just go around calling people your dad. (laughs) And I was like, I'm, but I'm not. Like, he's actually, no, he's my dad. (laughs) Like, seriously, I'm not just going around. But you don't have the same name. Right. You just can't pretend James White is your dad. (laughs) Literally never done that. I've never pretended that. Wow, that's so crazy. And what did they say when you said that? I don't remember. Well, usually we we used to get the name dropping thing. Yeah. Oh, you're just name dropping. And now they're like, don't call him your dad. What do you guys want from me? <laughs> I didn't ask for this. <laughs> hmm. We just don't want to hear about your dad, okay? <laughs> Actually, what I was going to say is I was going to say, you're right. I am Joy, and I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Summer. And the thing about Summer is, is that um, she knows more about James White than you ever will. <laughs> so <true>. too bad. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Too bad for you guys. And not just because she says, I know a lot about, you can't just say, you know, James White. Oh, well, I guess you're right. I can't just say that, but if it's true. <laughs> Some people used to think that um, Joy was Todd Friel's daughter. It I was know. just like a weird thing that picked up. It was like a weird, weird moment where people were like, oh yeah, that's James White's daughter. And that's Todd Friel's daughter. <laughs> the crazy thing is You're that, not that tall. <laughs> well, and the thing is, is that I wasn't married until very recently. And my last name was What's not Friel. Friel. Yeah, so. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So, we so, did kind of run with, we kind of made the joke a I few mean, times. We may have. How could you not? <laughs> <laughs> that's probably why Todd never talks to me again. Yeah. <laughs> anymore. Sorry. used to be buds but it was know. my fault <laughs> well the hilarious thing is like apparently you actually can just call someone someone's dad <laughs> because that happened because to that me. happened to you yeah <laughs> anyway well anyway so um we're here right today because my dad has a cool story to tell us and i have not heard this story and i know that you just got back from the place where it happened yep. so you're pretty excited about it yep he was and excited I got my hat so you got my hat when yeah, we decided like this had to be an episode. I was sitting where you were. Right. Oh, okay. Right. That's right. And he hadn't recently been there. And I was like, we just have to have you come on this. Come on, Sheila. And, and tell, tell the story. Because right. you were excited then. I was excited then. Yeah. You were just there. It makes it more exciting. Very much so. So, you, so this is a story from church history. And you, that's like kind of something you know a lot about. Uh, the first class I ever taught after I graduated from uh, from seminary was church history. I've been, so I've been teaching it since 90 on and off. Right. So, uh, yeah, and, and church history is important to apologetics. But this particular story is just, I, I, I just don't know of anything more amazing 
in the history of the church than, than the story of the Munster Rebellion. So, um, and it has so many applications and we'll try to make applications in the second half uh, of, yeah. of the discussion. But I just do not know why it's only been made into a movie once and that was in German. Right. So we've never okay. seen it. Hollywood could take this and make a blockbuster out of it and they'd never have to change a single element of the historical reality. They'd never have to introduce anything they would not have to exaggerate they would not have to do what we did with uh with braveheart and, right. and introduce all sorts of love stories right nah uh jan of leiden had 16 wives you got plenty of stuff you can <laughs> so <laughs> so i just don't know why it hasn't happened but most people don't know about it um and when you tell them about halfway through you have to stop and go no i'm i'm, I'm being serious i'm not making this up i'm excited uh so yeah there, there you excited. go yeah and I think too, like, oh, I just moved the table. Sorry. <laughs> I think too, something that Joy and I talk about is um, when you don't know, like you have, you have to know history. And I think it's something that, and maybe, maybe I'm blowing hot air, but I just think our generation in particular is so disconnected mm -hmm. and so uninterested in history and the way that <clears throat> it's been taught to us admittedly you know has been really boring yeah um but also very biased yeah and we just don't feel a huge connection to history because we just feel like we're so different and yeah. so i do think it's important that having historical knowledge is worth like the time investment i think a lot of people think of like oh history that's a hobby oh you're in a history that's cool but it's like no you need to be aware of what's happened in history right. to understand this moment as best as possible even so anyway sure. that's i'm excited for whatever crazy story you're about to tell us but also i just want people to start caring a little bit more about history yeah well you know it, it, and it's a good time to tell the story because we're coming up in the 500th anniversary of these events i hope to live that long um so 1534 would be the start of it uh, so that'd be 2034 it's not all that far down the road no nope. um and we just did 1517 and right. uh, i got to go over there you know, in September of 1517 and preach from Luther's pulpit and stuff like that. So that's sort of a neat connection. Um, but it, it, this couldn't have happened without Luther, even though Luther was really disgusted with this entire, this entire event. Um, a few background things that yeah. are absolutely necessary, which unfortunately a lot of people uh, have a hard time contextualizing the story because you don't realize that, for example, only... 200 years before this, uh, you had the Black Death come through Europe and wipe out one of every two people. Yeah. And in some cities, three out of four. Uh, and it was still hanging around, would pop, pop up every once in a while and wipe out a city just for the fun of it. And so you, uh, mortality was all around you. Um, and then when the Reformation hits, it's sort of like the glue comes undone. And this was already coming. I mean, the... Uh, the rise of the of the universities, the Renaissance, the world was changing, and uh, the old feudal system was breaking down. You've got a, the, the Black Death brought along a, a middle class, and universities were coming around, and so, so a lot of stuff was was changing, and people felt very uncertain because of the fact that you know, Europe had pretty much had the same thing for almost a thousand years, and so. Uh, there was a lot of eschatological stuff going on, a lot of uh, wondering if, you know, is this the end? Is Christ going to return? Uh, that type of stuff. Around the time of the plague? Uh, well, all the way up into the time period we're talking about, the Reformation. Mm. Uh, once the Reformation takes place, um, there's, there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty, and it's just an uh, amazing time to live. And there's all sorts of groups that, that start forming during this particular period of time that has sort of been held together by Rome's Inquisition and stuff like that, but now you start having some freedom and things start changing. So uh, date-wise, 1517, October 31st, traditional beginning of the Reformation, Martin Luther, 95 Theses, so on and so forth. Um, <clears throat> you, you begin to have some Lutheran states that start asserting their freedom into the 1520s. And then the big thing in Luther's life, and it's a big thing as far as Munster is concerned as well, 1525 is the Peasants' Revolt. And the peasants think Luther's on their side, and so they've been mistreated forever. They've, and they have been. They've been mistreated horribly. They live on almost nothing. 
um, the the lords and 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 knights and so on and so forth, you know, tax them heavily. And so there's a, there's a rebellion, and they think Luther's could be on their side, but Luther hates anything that smacks of anarchy. Mm, he okay. is he is really accused of releasing anarchy upon Europe, and so he he detests anything like that. So he actually sides with uh, the rulers and says this rebellion must be put down. And so it was to the tune of about a hundred thousand people. So about a hundred thousand uh, peasants are 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 wiped out. You know, when we think about our our wars today in this time period. Yeah. You, you know, you're talking far more than, you know, you, you throw everything together and it's still not even close to how many people die in, in, in one year. Just, and they're slaughtered. They're not shot from a nice safe distance. You, you ran swords through people and got bloody and gory and everything else. Yeah. So that not only changed Luther, you can, you can, you can mark the, the, the first Luther up to 1520, 1517 to 1525, second Luther, 1525 onwards. You can just see a massive difference in, in Luther as an individual. But it also has a huge impact upon um, society, uh, especially amongst the, the peasantry, where 100,000 of them aren't there anymore. Right. Um, so, you know, half your family's gone, whatever else it might be. And so not overly shockingly, you start getting all these predictions about the coming of Christ. The end is right around the corner. And a lot of these are centered on the one city there was one city um, under the rather lenient leadership of the reformer Martin Bucer, Strasbourg, that uh, sort of allowed for some level of freedom. And so these people, uh, who history will eventually call Anabaptists. Now, Anabaptist obviously means a person who has been baptized again. Everyone in that society is baptized as an infant. That's how the, that's how the, the, the tax rolls were calculated, was based upon the, 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 the baptismal rolls. So you can see why the state had a real stake in infant baptism mm-hmm. and in opposing uh, the Wiedertaufern, the, the, uh, the rebaptizers, um, uh, because that wipes out your tax rolls. And we are living in a sacral state, state church. This is vitally important. The only way you can understand Luther or Calvin or Zwingli or any of this stuff, state church. It's been a state church for a thousand years. That's all they've ever known. Um, and so for us, in a non-sacral society, we just look back at this and just can't even understand what's going on. So uh, these people start, uh, these, uh, the first Anabaptists are technically traced to Zwingli in Zurich. And um, he has some disciples, some of whom are, are, he's taught them Greek, so on and so forth, Conrad Grable and others. And the, that's where the, the name originates. It doesn't take long for not only the Roman Catholics to be killing Anabaptists, but the Protestants. Um, Luther has to deal with what are called the Zwickau prophets very early on in his Reformation career. And at first, he's not all that upset with them, but eventually Luther is strongly anti-Anabaptist uh, and is willing, uh, as I uh, demonstrated at the, uh, the castle there in, in uh, Germany, uh, when I was there last year, uh, to allow one uh, Anabaptist uh, to rot in, in a hole for seven years before he dies. Knowing he's there, he, he left him there. So the, the, the use of execution by Luther, uh, Zwingli, uh, some of his own students, um, he had pushed off of this particular bridge in the middle of uh, Zurich, uh, bound hand and foot. You want your baptism? Here's your third baptism. And so that was the, the primary wow. way of execution of Baptists was throwing them off a bridge, bound hand and foot. Oh. So so you just drown them. Uh, there are many Anabaptists drowned in um, in Zurich. I've stood on the bridge where they did it. Um, wow. And uh, so uh, the Anabaptists are not really overly welcome anywhere, either no. either in Roman territories or in Protestant territories. But they found some level of freedom in in Strasbourg. And so uh, there is a, a fellow by the name of Melchior Hoffman. Uh, who uh, comes up with the idea that Christ is going to uh, return in 1533 to Strasbourg. Why and so 1533? The, uh, well, that's only eight years after the Peasants' Revolt, and you know the dates and times are, are always something that people come up with on, on their own. Um, <laughs> now, Melchior Hoffman is, is a pacifist. He does not preach any kind of militancy, doesn't... You know, we're not going to take over the city and all the rest of that stuff. But you can preach that way, but still attract some odd people. 
And so um, one of the really odd people that he attracts uh, to himself that we'll see later is a man by the name of Jan Mathias or Jan Mathis, uh, as, as he's sometimes called. And as far as we can tell, Jan Mathis uh, looked like he walked right off. This is somebody, this is somebody else's illustration. It's the only way I can describe it because it's an accurate illustration. Looks like he walked right off the front cover of a, of a Led Zeppelin album. <laughs> okay. Uh, huh. So black, long robes, taller than most people, massive beard. Crazy hair. Dark, yeah, the, the, the absolutely quintessential guy. He is converted to Anabaptism under Melchior Hoffman's uh, teaching and is in Strasbourg thinking, okay, this is where the second coming is going to take place. You know, great, fine. Better be there. Wonderful. So <laughs> keep him in mind because really the story of Munster is the story of two Jans, Jan Mathis and Jan of Leiden, or Jan Bockelson, depending on which name you want to use, and two Bernards, Ooh. Bernard Nipperdaling and Bernard Rothman. Rothman Symmetry. is converted this, at this point first to Lutheranism, and then he be keeps, it's like a pendulum swing. Okay. Uh, Lutheranism, and we keep on going past that <laughs> into uh, an Anabaptist uh, perspective. It takes some time. But uh, Rothman is, uh, is in Munster. And so eventually what happens with Rothman is once he adopts the, strong, the Anabaptist perspective, starts attacking infant baptism, the mass, all the rest of that kind of stuff. Um, what's special about him is that he was a writer and he had a printing press. Ooh, power. Huh. That's power. That's yeah. power. In that day, in other words, he had Twitter. Yeah. And, uh, and so, uh, it's hard for us to, to, to realize just how important and how powerful just little pamphlets were. Oh yeah. Uh, I saw some of his pamphlets, uh, last week in, in Munster and, you know, nothing special, but hey, printing was still a fairly new thing at that point in time. So this is pretty cool. Right. Um, and he has he has power. And so what happens, obviously, is is uh, Munster in Westphalia in Germany is a is a beautiful little town. Um, and it had a prince bishop who was friendly toward Luther and his ideas. And so even though he's Roman Catholic, um, he's not a real convinced Roman Catholic. He's got a wife and kids too. So bishops and you know, wife and kids, right. not actually unusual in that day, but still not really uh, smiled upon or accepted in that way. And so what happens is uh, the Lutherans gain freedom in Munster. And Munster, like I said, a pretty well-off town. Um, and it has this wall all around it and that has a double moat. Uh, so there's a moat on the outside, and then once you get out over, up over the outside wall, you've got another moat between two walls, the bigger wall inside. So it's pretty secure. Okay. Um, mm. Pretty much uh, a place where you've got a lot of artisans and craftspeople and skilled people, and they've, they've got some they've got some money. They're not they're not hurting too bad. Donald um, Trump's great 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 grandpa. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not that everybody's rich, but 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 everybody's yeah. comfortable. Sure. And uh, you've got some some really pretty churches in it, uh, St. Lambert's Cathedral and things like that. And so here you have this sort of medieval like uh, fortress city uh, with some you know it's got a lot of trade going on and stuff like that. Well, now it's sort of become a little bit free and the Prince Bishop lives outside of it and he's still in charge of it, but there's this constant tension is, you know, who's really in charge, the city council, the Prince Bishop, you know, what about allowing Catholics freedoms and, and Protestants freedom? And this is happening all over, all over Europe. Well, what happens uh, is uh, in summer of 1533, Bernard Rothman, uh, goes full full on Anabaptist, and uh, I'm they sorry. remind me who which one Rothman is. Rothman has the printing. He's press. the printing press. Okay, and he has another uh, Bernard that's very important. Is Bernard Nipperdaling? <laughs> I shouldn't have done that while you were drinking. <laughs> that's sort of like something out of the Geneva Bible um, <laughs> for you. So sorry about that. Um, yes, Bernard Nipperdaling. Um, 
and uh, he is a wealthy wool merchant there in Munster. Did it go up the nose? No. no? Um, I almost ruined my laptop, though. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, That's okay. a great last name. Yeah, Bernard Nipperdahl. I'm never going to forget him. Okay. Well, no, <laughs> after what happens to him, you won't. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So he doesn't end to well. his unforgettable name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so he's a friend with Rothman. He's a wealthy wool merchant. And he's helping Rothman with his printing and his paper and stuff like that. And they start spreading Anabaptist stuff all the way around northern uh, Germany. And so when the 1533 stuff doesn't take place in Strasbourg, you know, you've the got all of the these world people doesn't take place. <laughs> are like, you know, what do we do? What's going on? And so the focus starts moving away from Strasbourg toward. Munster, because you have uh, Rothman as a fiery preacher there, things like that. And what happens as more and more Anabaptists start showing up in Munster is it destabilizes the city and the balance of power in the, in the city. And uh, so the, the Lutherans can completely take over, but they're too moderate. And so now you've got the stress between the Lutherans and the Anabaptists and stuff like that going on. And so between uh, June and September of 1533, you have a mass influx of foreigners into Munster who are primarily Anabaptists. And it's a, you know, you can elect people to the council, so that, that changes everything. Uh, starting in October, you start having mass conversions and rebaptisms, because how do you, if you're to be an Anabaptist, you got to be rebaptized. Okay. Uh, because your first baptism right. didn't count in their, in their, in their thinking. Right. Um, so in November 4th of 1533, uh, the remaining council moderates try to get rid of Rothman. Uh, an armed standoff takes place. Uh, and uh, Philip of Hesse, who is really important in the rest of church history outside of this, uh, the Marburg Colloquy, Zwingli, Luther, all the rest of that stuff, he uh, brokers a truce and sort of holds stuff together in, in Munster for a little, a little while. Um, so finally what happens, 1534, uh, January 5th, Jan Mathis identifies Munster as the New Jerusalem. And well, uh, so a number... You can't just call something the New Jerusalem. <laughs> you can't just do that. <laughs> well, when you walk off of a, the front of a, a, of a uh, you, you know, a Striper album, that's even worse, um, <laughs> then you can, you can do whatever you want. And um, so uh, uh, over... Over a thousand people, uh, very quickly, are rebaptized, and Anabaptism begins to just basically take over, take over the city. So now Mathis will eventually. He, now Mathis isn't there yet, but this other fellow, by the name of Jan Bockelson, if you want to have yeah. your own uh, little picture there of Jan Bockelson, uh, or as he's better known to church history, Jan of Leiden. Uh, he does go to uh, to Munster. He looks like Matthew. He he looks <laughs> look like really Matthew. Look, okay. Look really closely. Oh, you know what? Like Honestly, they have. He looks there like are some husband. similarities yeah, yeah. happening there. Uh huh. It might be the nose. It might be, and huh. like the the curly beard. <laughs> yeah. Well. Anyway. Um, <laughs> That's how you get. That's how you get completely taken off track as you You're pass welcome. around a very large postcard with a picture of Jan Leiden on the front. That or was his. Matthew um, Hunter. We'll find out what happens to Jan a little okay. bit later on. But right now Trust we're me. talking about Led Zeppelin Jan. Yeah, uh, the, the Jan Jan Mathis dude. Jan Mathis. Yes, exactly. So um, basically, there uh, by February, um, Jan Mathis arrives in Munster uh, February twelfth of fifteen thirty four. Um, an entirely new council is elected, all of Anabaptists. Uh, the Catholics and the Lutherans are in trouble. And 15 days later, on a frigid, cold day, evidently even, more, even worse than when I was there, I ran, uh, the second day I was there, I ran in snow. I had never run in snow before. Uh, but there's something called the promenade, which follows the path of the old wall. The wall's gone, but it follows the path of the old wall. So I was running the snow nice. in the cold nice. in, uh, in Munster last week. Never slipped once. It was fun. That's but uh, I did have to dodge a lot of bikes. There are more oh. bikes in Munster than I have ever seen in my life. It was, it was amazing. Anyhow, it's a beautiful city. Um, Jan Mathis arrives February 12th. So February 27th, he decrees 
that if this is a new Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem needs to be filled with saints. So you either are baptized as an Anabaptist or you leave with oh. whatever you can carry and nothing more. Oh. So all Catholics and Lutherans are to be expelled from the city that morning, right now. And the it's, Anabaptists it's, really had a system, it seems, for taking over <laughs> cities. Kind of harsh. It's, it's, it, well, oh. it's, and, and it's, some stories indicate some people, uh, because of the cold, didn't even, didn't even make it out of the city. It was just that, oh that cold gosh. at that wow. particular point in time. I mean, they just, they just died. Uh, yes, yes, some died from exposure. And Whoa. so the next day, the bishop blockades the city. So the, 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 the prince bishop brings his forces and blocks all the major roads going into the city. The city closes its gates. And you gotta understand, it's an armed city. So um, at, at each of the gates, there the, Munster had cannon. And so they, you know, and they had gunpowder and stuff like that. So they, so they there, a, a dead zone develops between where the bishop's forces are and where the city is because you can fire those cannons mm-hmm. a certain, so that, that area right. becomes a no man's land basically. Right. Now it's still very heavily forested. And for the first number of months of this siege, um, you can still get in and out uh, because there's just so many uh, ways of doing it. Um, it's not till the end that, that 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 ends. But for a long time, there's still some getting in and out, though it's not, not easy to do, obviously. And you can't do large numbers and stuff right. like that. You can have You're small sneaking. groups. You can, you can right. sneak in and out, yeah. So February 28th, 1534, the bishop initiates the siege of the city and that will not be lifted until the summer of the next year. Whoa. Wow. So you're talking over a year, Munster is going to be under siege uh, there uh, in Northern uh, Germany. So- That's patience. In, in mid-March, <laughs> well, no, uh, it's, oh, it's, it's not. Oh. In mid-March, the city is preparing for the bishop's attack. They know that he's going to attack. The bishop doesn't want to attack. It's his city. Right. If he, if he yeah. was given, for example, two huge cannons, called the devil and the mother of the devil. <laughs> Which one is worse in that situation? <laughs> but but he didn't but he didn't want to use them because right. this is his city. Right. right. So so everything he lobs in there, he's gonna have to repair it one way or right. the other. Right. Um but he's got to get in there and it's got big old honking walls. And yet most of the people are thinking these are just Anabaptists. They're just shop owners and stuff like that. How 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 fierce can they fight? You know, sure. this type of stuff. Sure. So um, the city is preparing, the women are being trained on how to pour boiling pitch on soldiers climbing oh, uh, ladders that's... up up walls and stuff like well, this. Just and, a normal Tuesday, and, boiling some pitch. Pitch class. <laughs> I didn't, I did not expect, I, I did not anticipate this. I should have, but I... <laughs> After we basket weave underwater, yep. we're gonna boil some pitch. Yep. <laughs> okay, so anyways. Now that's the third baptism. Uh, right Jan, um, yeah, that's a baptism there, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so going on with the story, uh, Jan Mathis, now you gotta understand what Jan Mathis is like. Jan Mathis is, takes the role of a prophet. Yeah. And so he hears from God. Oh. And so you can you can go up to Jan and and you can say what does Jan think about how we should do this and is it just a second yes Lord okay. uh-huh. the Lord says this Ew. Okay. and what's really interesting is when you look at the sermons and the songs uh, they loved Mighty Fortress uh, they, they, <laughs> Luther was probably not happy about this they loved Mighty Fortress that's extra um, rock and roll yeah um, <laughs> there was a heavy emphasis on the Old Testament and a massive de-emphasis upon the new. Um, obviously they, they consider themselves servants of Jesus Christ, the true church, the new Jerusalem, all the rest of that stuff, but there was a massive imbalance here. And it's mm. really unfair to call them Anabaptists and to just throw them in with everybody else because of what they end up doing. But in Europe, that's how they were viewed because they were rebaptizers, And that okay. was the one thing that tied them all together. Okay. That's one of the problems is that Anabaptists will suffer for centuries uh, because they're just all thrown into one big hunk and pile. And there's no differentiation made between them and anybody else. And you've got Trinitarians, non-Trinitarians, everything in this one big pile. And Munster did not help with any of that. Um, Jan Mathis confiscates all private property and wealth and establishes a communist state in Munster. Ew. Um, again, based upon some, you know, 
idealistic idea of uh-huh. the new Jerusalem and so on and so forth. Right. Um, everybody has to go on guard duty at some point in time. And one of the key, ish, key things that takes place during this period of time in uh, mid-March is that one of the blacksmiths, Herbert Rusher. Now, blacksmiths were not known for being little fading people. They're big boys. Sure, sure. And so he was on guard duty one night and he thought he was with friends. And so he started like, who is this Jan Mathis guy? He's only been here for a month and he's telling us all what to do. And, and you know, what an idiot he is. Well, he, the German terms he used were a little bit stronger than that from what sure. I was saying. <laughs> sure. But, it, you know, blacksmiths <laughs> tend to have that kind of uh, way about them. Yeah. Well, he is reported to Jan Mathis. And so Jan Mathis has him arrested. Reported. And brought to the, the, the city center. And this is a like a full-blown cult at this point. Yeah. Uh, well, we have not We're, begun. We oh, have not okay. begun. We're not even there oh, yet. Yeah. No, 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 no. We have not begun. And so... Uh, he brings Mathis, uh, Mathis brings Roth, uh, Rother the, uh, R- I'm sorry, Rusher, the uh, blacksmith in front of him, and he starts preaching about how uh, we need to have purity amongst the people of God. God is not going to bless our efforts here if we have unbelievers, and maybe a, an evil spirit is taking this person, but this, the, the, they cannot be allowed to be amongst the pure. And people start realizing he's talking about killing him. He's talking about yeah. executing him. And so a couple of the Anabaptists, who are full on with the, with, they, they, they're Anabaptists, but they're also uh, members of the, of the Munster hierarchy. And so they're like, oh, wait a minute, um, uh, Jan, we have you know, certain rules and laws about how you know, it has to be an examination, stuff like that. So Mathis has them chucked in the, in the dungeon. So now everybody's like, whoop. And so Mathis pulls his sword and there's different stories here. Uh, he may have hesitated and out steps Jan of Leiden. Now, Jan was a pretty good-looking dude, okay? He was a actor. Oh. And so he oh, okay. knew how to make an entrance. He knew how to do things. And so he grabs one of these long pikes from one of the soldiers standing nearby, one of their soldiers standing nearby, and comes up behind Rusher and rams it into his back, stabs him in the back. Well, Rusher, unfortunately doesn't want to die. And so he's laying there on the ground moaning and he's not dead. Jan Leiden thought he would be dead. And so he takes someone's pistol and shoots him point blank in the head and he still doesn't die. And so they actually picked him up Maybe and they, they took it, they, 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 <laughs> they carried him off. Uh, well, when I told this story at PRBC, we all thought of George. <laughs> yeah, yeah, George, yeah. George Soto. Yeah, sure. So that, that's that's uh, just that's, can't that's, can't can't, can't kill him. <laughs> yeah, they well they did. They sure. they picked him up, dragged him off to his house, and he died eight, eight days later. But eight days. Eight days later. Yeah. Um, eight terrible what days. The heck? But yeah. but the 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 point is that vengeance has been done, and now the Pete now the the reign of terror begins. And so Jan Mathis says, you know, we had a lot of people that converted right at the end, just when they had to. I'm wondering if they're really truly converts. Oh no. Oh, and gosh. so they take all of them and put them in one of the churches and just leave them in there for, for for a few hours until they're absolutely terrified. And then Jan Mathis walks in and hears from God that he is to be merciful to them. And so he bows, kneels with them and prays and thanks God that they are to be spared and all this. I mean, the the amount of of cult uh brainwashing uh, successful yeah. stuff that you could pull out of what's going on here yeah. is pretty amazing but this is in 1534 right. so there, we didn't have all these names for it but we didn't this have guy names was for all this stuff. he was doing no it. <laughs> no um so word goes out to all of europe the anabaptists have taken over munster this is the new jerusalem and so anabaptists from all over northern europe start heading toward munster and everybody Protestant and Catholic get together to go, this ain't happening. And so large groups of armed Anabaptists are heading for Munster and they are attacked by either Protestant or Catholic or sometimes combined forces of both. Wow. And simply wiped out. Thousands of people are killed trying to get to Munster at this point in time. Just murdered in the streets. Um, uh, Lots and lots of people trying to uh, trying to get there. Well, early April of 1534, just before Easter Sunday, there is a wedding going on. And Jan Mathis is in attendance at the wedding. 
Is this still during the standoff or the siege? I'm sorry. Oh yeah. Oh okay. yeah. Oh, siege yeah. is still going on. Okay. Oh yeah. Siege. The siege is going to last for more than a year after this. Okay. Uh, this has only been uh, February 28th is when the is when the siege starts. This is early April. April. So it's okay. been just a little over a month. Okay. Can you imagine what the tone of a wedding that's happening during a siege would be? <laughs> I think yeah. they were a lot tougher but, back then. But they were like, they, they yeah, were. we're being sieged. It's all good. <laughs> there were well, no they were, back then. but no. Munster was also pretty well prepared. They 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 had a lot. Um, it was a well-provisioned city, and they had stored stuff up, and so they one had people cattle and food and, and things. Okay, they, yeah. they had they were they were set for a fair amount of time, and they've got a river going right through the city, so yeah. they they got water. They're 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 in good. They're in fairly decent shape. Anyway, so they're having a wedding, and Jan Mathis is there, and then all of a sudden. Jan Mathis goes, oh, and he goes into a stupor and everyone's like, and, and way to make it about you, Jan. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, and then he's, it's like, he, he comes to, yes, Lord, Ew. yes, Lord, whatever you will is Lord. And then he kisses everybody and leaves. Ew. And everyone's like, what on earth is going on? So slowly word comes out from Jan of Leiden and other leaders that Jan Mathis has received a commandment from God that he is going to break the siege and that Jan, and the numbers vary between 12 and 30, but let's say 12. Jan, with only 12 men, is to ride out from the city and with God's divine assistance is going to destroy the armies of <laughs> Prince Bishop. So mm -hmm. on Easter Sunday, you go, guy. The 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 gates open, and out in in armor goes Jan Mathis and his twelve guys, <laughs> and so everybody else in the city is on the wall watching this. Right. Yeah. Because they're about to be delivered from from the Prince Bishop. Well, out in the distance, you know, Prince Bishop's men see this. So out in the distance, you start seeing this dust cloud. And here comes 500 men on, on horse <laughs> toward the 13 guys. Yeah. <laughs> and um, they're expecting a miraculous deliverance. Um, that's not what they got. Uh, oh, no. Um, really? <laughs> everybody is slaughtered to a man. Um, Mathis has a, has a spear put through his side. He's disemboweled and, oh. and, is, and is killed. And, uh, and I doubt that takes very long. <laughs> no. Uh, well, no, it can be a slow way of going, actually. Um, but well, uh, no, I mean, like, I doubt it takes very long for it didn't 500 against 13. No, it was not a long battle. No. no, not by any stretch of imagination. And everybody's watching this. So everybody can see this. And so uh, they dismember Jan Mathis and they take his head and they put it on a pike and they post it outside the, the city on, on the street. Uh, you know, the, the road going in. These people are super And then that chill. night, <laughs> that night they snuck up to the city gates and nailed some other body parts to the uh, <laughs> gate of Munster just to make sure that the point was made. Just to be extra chill. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, what happens um, is almost immediately um, a uh, rumor starts going around Munster that Jan's going to rise in three days. No. Oh, no, I was already yes. thinking this with his twelve that he rode out with. Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, he has a. So this is one of the uh, this 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 finishes the picture. If you if you think of him and the Led Zeppelin album, his wife Devara wears all white and is a knockout. Okay, <laughs> so that's the other part of this. Uh. Okay, and so. Uh, the night this happens, everyone in the city is like, what do we do now? Will the, will the Prince Bishop allow us to surrender without killing all of us, you know, all the rest of this stuff? Or is he going to rise? And everybody gathers in the city square and in the darkness from uh, Bernard Nipperdalling's house, two-story house, the door opens and out onto the balcony walks Jan of Leiden with Devara and Nipperdalling and the leaders and he begins to address the people and he does it just like any actor would. Mm -hmm. He's just got all of their attention. And he announces that God's judgment on Jan Mathis was just because God had only told Jan Mathis to go out alone. And since he took the other 12 men, <laughs> that is why they were struck down. 
And, oh, no, and, you guys, it was going to be less men. That was what was going to work against Pfeiffer. And, and he then tells, he then claims, I saw this in a vision last week. And he calls on Nipper Darling, who is one of the leaders of the city and has been for a long time, to testify he had told him the week earlier about this vision of seeing what was going to happen to Jan Mathis. And everyone's like, oh. Oh, okay. Oh. And so now, completely reasonable. Now Jan Mathis is gone, and Jan of Leiden begins a process that will result in a fairly short period of a couple of months. But in a few months, he is literally going to be anointed king of Munster. But he now takes over the prophetic mantle that Jan uh, that Jan Mathis had, and so he becomes his religious and political successor. Um, he has visions from heaven, uh, and he marries uh, the beautiful uh, widow uh, of Jan Mathis to uh, you know, sort of cement that uh, succession idea. Um, he begins to have all of the church towers and steeples pulled down, with the exception of St. Lambert's for some reason. That, that's the mm. one that stays up, uh, partly to reinforce the walls. Mm. Because they know that eventually uh, the, the the prince bishop is is going to be is going to be coming, um, because there's a lot of pressure being put upon the prince bishop. Look, all these other people around Europe are going, hey, yo, dude, if you let your city be taken over by these nutcases, we have nutcases in our cities too. They're going to get ideas. They're going to get ideas, yeah. <laughs> and so Protestants and Catholics are sending him soldiers. They're sending him guns, and it's like, dude. Go do it. He just doesn't want to destroy his own city in, in the process, basically, is, is, what is, uh, is what is happening. And so inside the city, Jan is tightening his grip um, uh, on, on the people and things like that. Uh, imprisonments and executions are starting to take place within the city. There is a, um, uh, he uh, makes a rule that you can never lock your door. You have to, at any point, anyone, well, this is, this, this is, this is a communist situation. Yeah. There's, we have nothing to hide. Ugh. So you can never lock your door. They're to be left ajar. Anybody can walk in anytime they want to uh, into, um, into any, any place they want to, to go. Finally, on May 25th, so we've gone from, so it's basically the end of the next month after, after Easter. May 25th um, is to be the attack. The Prince Bishop has finally decided, okay, I can't do anything about this. And so they start shooting the, the devil and the, the devil's mother. <laughs> and the ladies of Munster are running around. And when one of these big old cannonballs would hit the wall, they have stuff they've torn down from the churches and stuff like that in piles. And they start running to wherever the hole is. And they're filling in the holes in the walls. Yeah, uh, women. Just, just wow. uh, early... Early feminism, are, uh, yeah. fourth wave. I, yeah. I don't know. Anyways, uh, that you guys, are the experts on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so they are planning to attack the next morning. Here's the problem. A lot of their guys are um, uh, hirelings. You know, uh, they're wait, uh, whose guys? Uh, the Prince Bishop's soldiers. They're, they're high. Okay. They're they're, okay. they're they're there to get paid. Sure. Okay. And um, they're mercenaries. Right. And mercenaries tend to like alcohol. Yeah. And so a whole group of these guys, the battle's tomorrow, so let's have fun today. And <laughs> sure. so they have gotten themselves completely soused and they're supposed to attack at sunrise. <laughs> I well, love this on, story. May 20, on May 25th, <laughs> they're so soused that as the sun sets, they're like, wait, is it morning? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> is it morning? And so they're really worried that everyone else is going to get into the city before them and they're not going to be able to get any of the booty. And so they're like, charge! And so these drunken when soldiers... you don't know sunrise from sunset, th it's time to quit. You are pretty soused, okay? So here they, here they come toward this double-moated wall and the rest of the army is like, what are they doing? Well, what if they get in before us? Charge! And so this completely disorganized attack starts at sunset. So it's getting darker and darker <laughs> yeah, when you're trying to get worse. ladders up and everything else. And the, the Anabaptist Munster ladies have got their boiling things and pitch ready to go, Whee! 
<laughs> and so they just wipe the attack out and they, they kill all sorts of soldiers and they just wipe it out and they go running back to their their lines and uh the, the prince bishop is just like oh no <laughs> Uh, when you get beat by some ladies with some tar, you've yeah. really messed your job up. Well, the thing about tar is it's very hard to see at night <laughs> when the sun is down. That is the thing. About I hadn't tar. really thought about that part. I hadn't really thought about that part. So, yeah, sorry about that. Um, so, uh, now, while this is happening, Jan is on a horse riding back and forth. He doesn't care about gunfire. He, he shows himself to be, even though he's an actor, a pretty decent commander. Sure. And everybody's like, oh, I mean, all wow. cult leaders are. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So his position of absolute control in the city is completely established because yeah. he has now repulsed yeah. the, uh, the bishop's uh, attack upon him. So wasn't too hard. <laughs> so the, 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 the question is, where are we uh, time wise right now? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, I'm, I'm not watching, unfortunately. We I mean, we, we have about five minutes left in this episode. All right. So let me let me tell you one story that we'll, we'll, we'll finish with okay. and then we'll be able to to move on with the rest of the story, because somewhere during mid-June. So we're now in the, the summertime. Right. A 15-year-old Dutch girl named Hilla Faken. Hilla Faken comes to Jan and his leaders. Now remember, the Old Testament is the big thing for these folks. And she remembers the story about the Jewish heroine who killed the king of the invading forces and set them, you know, you know, set the Jewish people free. And so she she comes to, to Jan of Leiden, to Rothman, to Nipperdaling, your favorite guy. Um, <laughs> really great. And um, says, look, uh, remember the story of Judith? Um, I, I think that I could kill the Prince Bishop. What we need to do is we need to send me out and we need to make a poisoned shirt. Now, some of the stories said that it was a shirt taken from a guy who had died of the plague or leprosy or something like that, okay. but they soaked it in poison and all the rest of this stuff, but they made it look real nice. And uh, since they've already collected everyone's gold and silver and stuff into a common thing, they take her in there. She's evidently very, very, very pretty, at, even at 15. And so they uh, doll her up real nice and give her some money and they give her this shirt. And she heads out of Munster. And uh, they is, just don't is... make 15 year olds like this anymore. Well, I mean, <laughs> it just goes to tell you that women do love poisoning people. <laughs> If they're going to do it, it's going to be by poison. And also, let me dress up first. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'd like a makeover before we do this. Before I go kill this guy, wow, this I need is, poison. Again, this is, this is the I most unique <laughs> telling of this story I've ever done. I, I, it's got this interesting <laughs> slant to it. It's really, really interesting. Anyway, so she, is, she wants to go to the bishop at first. She asks to be taken to the bishop first, but instead she's taken to his high bailiff. And he takes her money and her jewelry and things like that. Why are you leaving your fellow believers behind in Munster, so on and so forth? And evidently she is quite, quite compelling and quite, uh, quite good at this. And so um, it, is, it is arranged for her to go the next day to uh, see, um, the, see bishop. the bishop. Ooh. Well, the problem is that right around this same time, another individual left, uh, left uh, Munster. And um, he goes to the bishop's men and he says, you know, I can't, I can't really uh, offer you much, but I can tell you about a current, because uh, he knew about, he oh, knew about, plot. about, about her. Plot. He knew about I can, tell, I can tell you about a plot Ooh. to help save the bishop. That's how he saves his life. And so she's exposed, she's arrested, and she's put on the wheel. What? Oh. I now, think I know what that is, but I'm scared to ask. Well, you what they would do is they would they would uh, basically strap you either onto wood or onto the ground, and they would use a cartwheel to break all of your uh, bones. You start with your legs, break you know bottom of the legs, and oh. the upper of the legs, and your arms and your hands, and they break your body on the wheel. Oh. Um, and uh, according to uh, uh, the story. Mm. 
uh, what uh, what happened uh, is as the executioner has broken her body on the wheel, she still maintains her her faithfulness and says, you have no authority over me. And so the executioner says, we'll see about that and takes out his sword and cuts off her head. So she is decapitated uh, after being broken on on the wheel. So wow, uh, that is, uh, he said, we shall see about that, he answered and struck off of her, struck off her head. And so here you have, this shows you just what's going on in the city, uh, that despite the, the terror and everything else, you still have this tremendous uh, dedication. Yeah. And during this time at, at night, there would be groups of Anabaptists that would sneak out and they'd sneak into the, sol the Prince Bishop soldiers' tents and, and, and you know, uh, cut off their heads and, and, and strangle them and do stuff like that. And there was terrorist stuff going on in small, uh, small numbers uh, all during this time. Um, that wouldn't really stop until it got really cold again in the, in the winter. Right. And so there's sort of this type of psychological warfare going on and this, uh, this type of stuff uh, happening. And then all these Anabaptists are trying to get into Munster and they're having to try to keep them out. Uh, and this is, this, is all, this is all going on. And um, so there you go. Uh, that takes us pretty much into July when things are finally gonna start getting weird. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, finally. <laughs> Hold on. Because <laughs> they haven't gotten weird yet. I don't think that's accurate. <laughs> I think they've gotten really weird. No, no. Once July hits, the weirdness starts. I'm kind of bummed I've never heard the story of Hilla before. I know. What an insane 15-year-old. Seriously. That's crazy. Okay. Okay. So next week, you're going to finish the story up, right? Gonna try. Yeah. Okay. And it's gonna get start getting weird. How gonna start getting weird next week. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you guys listened to this and you were like, "This is so normal. This is just what happens in my neighborhood all the time. It's completely my double moated neighborhood. My double <laughs> uh, whenever run by a guy named Nipper Darling. Whenever right. Satan's mom starts shooting at me, it's a totally normal Tuesday. All right, you guys. Tune in next week, and my dad, he's really my dad, is going to finish the story for you. <laughs> Bye.